Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together this is chris and this is anthony and this is episode 437 bga's 10th anniversary we like to thank all our patreon backers for the last 10 years of wondrous support that has allowed us to bring you the 10th anniversary anthony we did it it's here 10 years of BGA. Woo! 25% of my life on this thing. It's crazy. It's a thing. It's it's sincerely a thing. And again, we are so amazingly appreciative and honored that you join us at the table each and every week. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing what we do to so many other people, bringing more people to the table. And again, as always, thank you to our all Patreon backers that make this podcast available to everyone. So 10 years of great support, great friends, great people at the table, a great time, great games. I mean, I, I guess we should mention the games too, right? I mean, that's <laughs> the thing, right? It's uh, supposedly what we're doing here. I don't... <laughs> supposedly. Although, you know, through the many months of COVID, I, I, many people would be forgiven for forgetting <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> What are we talking about this hey. week? Um, the Mandalorian, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that's a thing. I mean, I know for me, getting through the pandemic, being quarantined, and all the other kind of fun stuff that we all had to go through together, we we kept doing a podcast every week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's and, and, you know, part of it was just like, it's part of the routine. This is a great opportunity to, like, just keep moving and keep doing stuff. But also you know give us a chance to engage with each other 
and with everybody sure. listening um, when we're all stuck inside. That's something I think I felt very uh, privileged in that way because not everybody had that kind of outlet sure. to engage with the world uh, during all that. So I'm glad we did, even if sometimes we didn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was it was a very tough time, but Anthony and I had talked very early on during the pandemic and it was a struggle for all of us, obviously, to get games to the table or get online and everything that was happening. But we wanted to be there for everyone out there around the world as much as we could. So hopefully that helped because it helped us. It helped us to be reaching out there. So hopefully it helped you that there was somebody out there as well. Yeah. And again, our feature review, of course is the BGA 10th anniversary, 10 years. And again, you can go back all 10 years, and I think more or less, right around the exact same time, there is an anniversary celebration. So this is the 10th. And I guess just COVID was a thing, and we got through it and came through the other side. Uh, episode 437. And I guess, Anthony, maybe we should take a very, very, very quick brief kind of stroll through you know bga or memory lane a little bit you and i started the podcast because we wanted to support a friendly local game store that we had great appreciation for that they allowed us to play games at the table a lot of great publishers and designers came by and supported some great publishers and designers were part of the actual management ownership of the game store and we wanted to share our love and our support and that's how things started and it kind of grew out from there. And then over time, we added charity events pretty early on. We had one of our first charity events at that friendly local game store, Myriad Games, way back when in Staten Island, New York. And then it kind of grew and grew. And we continued to do charity events out in New Jersey. We, came, we, we continued to like reach out to friendly local game stores. We did runs. We had all the stores within our area, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. We were really kind of spreading out. And again, finding an audience, not just locally, but globally. And that was always really fun. The feedback that we were getting from people outside around the world about the games they were playing, their stores, their publishers, the designers, and the great games they were at the table. One of the really fun things was, and we talked about this recently at Gen Con with a number of people, Board Gamers Anonymous, and the reason for the anonymous, multi-layered, of course, but I guess primarily 10 years ago, the idea of adults, adult men, playing board games at the table as, you know, as a form of socialization, socializing with each other, it was just almost kind of unheard of. And it seems weird and odd now, 10 years later, the anonymous part does not need to be as anonymous as it once was, because now board gaming is the thing, my friend. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. Like I tell people now, like I was at, I have, I take German classes once a week. Um, it's one of the things I've decided to do. And somebody asked me last week why I was going to be out, and I was like, oh, I'm going to a board game convention. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. And I was like, five years ago, I would have made something else up. <laughs> I was like, I'm going on vacation with my family. I would have said something else, and then I would have felt shame about the fact that I didn't feel comfortable telling this random yes. person that I barely know like uh what i was actually doing but now i'm just like yeah this is what i'm doing and he's like great sounds cool don't care <laughs> like um and that like that little microcosm that moment really drove home for me like 
how much it's changed in 10 years. Mm-hmm. My own perspective towards it, part of its age, you get older, you don't really care as much what people think about you. <laughs> um, but also, it's just, it's part of mainstream life. Everybody's played sure. Ticket to Ride. Everybody's played Catan. People know that this exists, even if they're not part of it. Sure. They see it on the Target shelves. They see it on the Walmart shelves. They do. Um, and it's just, it's fun to be a part of. Now, occasionally, I do feel that little sliver still. Like, I had, the gas company had to come into my house today to turn the gas on and off. And I was like, they're in my basement with like the 300 games on the walls. And I'm like, all right, yeah, no. And, and you know, these contractors, they're all sure. just like, I'm a guy. Um, <laughs> and nobody says anything. They're all very polite. But I'm just like, what are you yeah. thinking of all this? But at the same time, I don't know that I care because maybe they also like games. You don't know anymore. Yeah. Everybody does. It's true. And again, there was that feeling of, as I guess the feeling of traditional stereotypical adult male kind of social life, right? You drink, you hunt, you do something with cars. Yeah. Uh, you, you watch the game, whatever the game that might be. And that's pretty much it with one exception, which is always the story I tell, which I was coming back from the game store on i guess it was sunday morning at about 2 a.m and there was a checkpoint by the local gentleman's club so to speak and the cops they were stopping everybody and they stopped me and they said you know sir um where have you been this evening it is you know obviously two plus in the morning and i'm driving on the roads and i had just passed the gentleman's club which was the reason why the, the police stop was there and i just i you know could not <laughs> i was like there's no way in the world you're going to believe this, <laughs> but, <laughs> and you know, they really didn't to be fair. Like they, they didn't, they was like very much step out of the car, sir. You know, cause I'm just like, I, yeah. So it was very much that kind of feel and appeal at the time. But again, it has changed dramatically. And Anthony, one of the stories that we were, we were telling recently at Gen Con was our first Gen Con and how he became part of the Dice Tower Network. and we were invited along with a lot of other podcasts to, you know, we were part of a podcast network back in the day, again, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, podcasting and board gaming was the thing. YouTube obviously has been, you know, has grown tremendously and has become, you know, more of the thing as far as tabletop games going. And we were, and we had a presentation along with everybody else. Tom and Eric invited us on stage and, Again, the little banter to kind of promote, you know, Board Gamers Anonymous and such and such and such. And the plan was, at least my plan in my head was, we would wear paper bags overhead as far as the anonymous part was concerned. And then we would go up on stage and they'd be like, you know, Tom obviously would be like, what the heck, guys? I'm like, oh, we're anonymous. We, you know, we're afraid to let people know that we're board gamers. We only feel comfortable with other board gamers. And obviously, Tom would be like, there are plenty of board gamers here. You don't need to be embarrassed anymore. And like, oh, yes, of course. We don't need to be anonymous anymore. We can take these bags off. All right, gentlemen, take our bags off. And the four of us would take our bags off only to show that they would, in fact, be smaller bags over our heads. Because, again, we're still very shy, introverted people who like to play board games but may not like to be as extroverted as the general people out there in the world. Yeah, yeah, no, it was such a good idea. I love that idea. And, and like, we tell the story. People are like, oh, that would have been really cool. It, unfortunately, Tom threatened everybody if they did. He did. <laughs> if they did anything even remotely fun or silly, he's like, "You'll be out of here." It's like, 
Come on, Tom. Something happened the year before, and I won't name the podcast. I get if you could, if you really care, you could go back and probably find it. And Tom was like, "Last year, so and so happened. I will not see that on my stage this year." And if you ever met Tom, he is a very nice guy, but he's also a giant. So big, and, <laughs> scary. And you're just like, and you're like, uh huh, uh huh. Okay, giant man, we will not do the thing that we thought was funny, but yet would. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, sir. It's Sorry. it's a very large, loud man with like a whole football team worth of children. So he's used to That's being right. like, "Don't mess around. <laughs> I will destroy you." And you're like, "Fair enough. I believe you." Yeah. He's a preacher and a dad of many, many children, and you know, he's been in board gaming forever. And we were very appreciative before the network and join him on stage and all the other things that we had done together over the years. We volunteered there. We we met people for dinners and stuff like that. But we always do regret not doing that because again that was so much of who we were at the time and and the spectacle that was podcasting yeah Uh, but yes the dice tower network was a big spot for us i think we we found out that we we became part of the dice tower network and we're we're still part of the dice tower network although again it's not as big or as central it's not central at all to what the dice tower is currently doing but it was a big thing and i think we found out at pax east if i remember correctly i got the email at that time and we were very excited. If you go way back the episodes, I know our friend um, Dave is listening, starting at episode one. Dear God, Dave, you are a brave soul. <laughs> I would not do that. Uh, so thank you, Dave. But he's going back. And yes, we, we, we found out then and we were very excited. It was very much a big part of us getting out there to other conventions. And we had done Gen Con and Origins and PAX and so many things since then. And it was just, it was a wonderful community above and beyond just the tabletop and, and our local community so welcoming so joyous to kind of get that conversation going because again you do feel like you're the only person in the world who loves this thing and as an adult person you want to socialize you want to play in this way and again you're told that that's not a thing that adults do especially adult men men don't do these things you know which reminds me like again for many people out there if you're not old enough cupcakes Used to be a thing just for kids. No adult in their in their right mind would be cat caught eating a cupcake. And now we all pay like seven dollars for cupcakes. It's true. <laughs> and how did that go from like a kid's thing to an adult, you know, connoisseur kind of thing where you're paying premium top dollar for cupcakes? Again, ten years ago, you would never think of that, but now it's a thing. So board gaming ten years ago was certainly a adult hobby male and female and um, non-binary kind of person's hobby but again it was certainly not something at least for us anthony as our meta american audiences it wasn't embraced as fully no no and it's uh it, it's funny to to have been in this long enough to like see the arc of that change sure. um it's great it's wonderful and i'm really glad it's happened because you don't have to feel silly about it anymore. You don't have to feel weird. You, if somebody asks you what you're playing or what you're doing, like this is this game and it's about this and it's a lot of fun. You know, I bring them into the classroom and a lot of the other people I talk to, like other professors are like, oh, do you get grief from the administration? I'm like, honestly, not really. Like mm. people know what these things are. They have a sense that they're a form of art and expression and they're okay with what you can do with them. Um, it's great. And I honestly, I think if I had started teaching earlier, it probably wouldn't have been the case. And from what I've heard from a lot of people, it wouldn't have been the case. So sure. it has significantly changed us as a cultural artifact, like what games are. 
Uh, and it's really cool to be kind of having been podcasting for 437 episodes through all that, you can listen back and kind of hear how our attitudes have changed, how our perspective has changed, how our reviews have even changed based on that change in society. Mm. And again, it, it certainly helped me. And I know you, Anthony, as far as like being more on the introvert side and feeling more challenged or taking on the challenge of being more exposed and being out there a lot more. And again, I think it's funny if you go back to the Facebook and you go through our old photos, again, a very, what I thought was a, a very fun kind of marketing campaign was we were holding the boxes in front of our faces. So you just saw our eyes kind of thing. So we were anonymous, so to speak. And now here we are doing multiple events, doing giant board game academic conventions and a board game academic journal. And it's what, what 10 years brings, like you said, Anthony, like what 10 years brings us and all the places that we went and all the friends that we have made. And we've had so many great, amazing guest hosts along with you and I, Anthony, over the years. And we're really appreciative to all of them to helping um, support us getting the great word of tabletop gaming out there. And again, more than ever, and we say it at the end of, of every episode, we want to bring more people to the table. That's, again, if we have a mission statement, if we have a goal, that's really it. We want to invite everyone to the table, no matter who you are, where you're from, and light game, heavy game, does not matter. We're so glad and welcome and honored that you joined us. So, Tabletop Gaming, 10 years supporting friendly local game stores, supporting independent game designers, supporting independent game publishers, designer games, and, you know, more than anything else, supporting all the gamers and our friends out there in the world who are having a great time getting games to the table. Absolutely. All right. Well, with that said, Anthony, you know, 10 years of things have been documented over 437 episodes. So please, if you have the opportunity for the laughs, for the fun, take a look back, jump back to an episode that might be interesting to you. We have always wanted these episodes to be an archive so that if you wanted to know our thoughts on a game, that maybe came out 5, 10, 20 years ago, it's there. It's on one of the episodes. And just hear how we change and grow over time. And again, we did that together. So again, thank you. Anthony, we've done other things too. Tell us about other things. Other things? We did other things. We did other things? Uh, we've done a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> That's why we're so tired. It's been 10 years. <laughs> so tired. We want other things forever? Other things recently? Other things recently, because I, I again recently, Gen Con, right? So we we finished, so we got to the, the finish line, we fell down, and we're still here. Yeah, <laughs> it's no. been like it's like four days later. We, we were it. doing an episode. We did it. Yeah, <laughs> we did it, y'all. We did it. We could just be done, but no, we, we we're gonna continue. <laughs> um, yeah, Gen Con was big, and you know what? Gen Con's always big. It's an exhausting convention because it's so big and it's far away and it's hot outside. There's a million other things going on. Um, but for us this year in particular, we've talked about this for months now, so you don't need me to tell you that we had an academic conference at Gen Con, but we did, and it was a big deal. 
and it was exhausting, but it was very successful. And we're so, so happy about how successful it was. Um, and honestly, if we're talking about in the last year of the podcast, that is a very significant part of that year, at least half, if not more than half of the year. Like we started planning this. Well, we started planning this in like January 2022. We had this conversation, but we were working on it and having discussions with people going back to like last October. Like I remember handing out flyers at PAX and you, Chris, had a bunch of conversations with people at PAX about this conference. So that is like, honestly, if I'm going to define year 10, that's that's it, right? That's yeah. what we did. Um, we also finally hit episode 400 because Chris hated the 300s. I hated the 300s. I don't. Yeah, I didn't have such a feeling, <laughs> but I I respect it and I appreciate it. Um, I don't hate the 400s either. I think I think it's a very nice round. I'm I'm a fan of the 400s. All right, see, there we go. We're almost at 450. We'll be there here in like three months. So we've got another year. We'll hit 500, which is such a big crazy number. I can't believe we're almost at 500. Um, yeah. The conventions in general though like obviously went to pax last year with gen con this year we'll be at pax again this year um that was a big part of it because together you and i the two of us hadn't been to gen con in five years Mm -hmm. which is a very long time it doesn't feel that long because of covid but it's a very long time so uh it's it's been a good interesting year with not as many games played or reviewed maybe as we did in the past, but a lot of things going on and a lot of interesting conversations. Yeah. And I think there's so many different aspects to it. The, the podcast, the YouTube videos, some of the preview videos that, that we have done the website boardgamersanonymous.com, which you put so much effort into it, making it a top website for board gaming. I, I, I guess one of the other things, again, we've had a lot of, ideas and wacky schemes and things that have worked out some things that that fell through uh bga live we haven't mentioned bga live in a long time right that was the thing we did during the pandemic it is yeah yeah that, that was a lot of fun too it was like a i mean it was a whole separate second night every week of yes. production which was a lot because it was a live production um but it on was Twitch. really really cool like yeah and you can go watch some of those episodes we have them up on youtube um and just like a unique fun thing, especially as board game arena was like just emerging mm-hmm. like early pandemic, it was becoming a thing that yes. it had not been before. And now it is that thing, but at the time it was becoming that thing. So yes, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was a concept that I remember talking to Daniel so many years ago when he was living in Amsterdam. Now he's in China about like a tabletop network. And the idea of, again, like everything else out there in the world, like commentary for board games being played. This is before uh, Board Game Arena, you know, came to our consciousness and was really a big thing for us. And to have Board Game Arena, we partnered with them and did so many games. And I, I think more than anything else, the surprising thing is the, we knew we were going to have some fun, but we had so much fun. And we had so many great friends out there who actually played the games that we were doing commentary over as they were playing separately. They, you know, it was just, it was outstanding. And there were so many games that came down to like the last move or there was like, it seemed like there was a blowout. And at the last second, somebody pulled it out. And again, you can't script those things. Like all of those things happen in real time. 
Yeah, I know. If we if we could script them, we would have. Um, we, we had many <laughs> com- quite that well. <laughs> we had many conversations before these games of like, how do we make this interesting? And certain games were like, I have no idea. How do we make Stone Age interesting? I don't know. <laughs> well, we bring Jason on, and we he says he's going to eat his hat, and then we give him grief about eating his hat for like three months. That was fun. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was very fun. <laughs> uh, and and again, above and beyond that too, Anthony. We you and I both had spinoff podcasts too. We did, yeah. So uh, I launched Table for One when my daughter was born, and I was playing. That was my first time. Obviously, now I've been home for years with COVID and everything else, playing games by myself. But that was the moment of like, oh, I don't really get to play games with other people anymore. I'm home all the time. Table for One, um, which eventually Jason joined me, and we kind of merged it. And he, we, it's been rebranded to Every Night is Game Night, and. It's no longer active, but there were like 200 episodes of that podcast. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, about largely solo games and solo adjacent stuff, um, which has become a whole thing. Because when that podcast started, I was talking about Friday and the solo mode of Imperial Settlers. And that was pretty much <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Onirim. But now every game has a solo mode. Even games that should not have a solo mode. That's true. We played Four Humors the other day. We didn't review that yet with Will, but... It has a solo mode, and I have no idea how that even works with that kind of game. It's like a blind bidding majority sure. control game. How does that have yeah. a solo mode? But every game has a solo mode now. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and it's just cool to kind of explore your own interests that way. Sure. And I had Kicking the Habit, which was way back in the day. And I mean way back in the day. That was a podcast about Kickstarter because... Kickstarter and Indiegogo, if you remember them, they were the crowdfunding, you know, sources, sites at the time. And again, this is so far way back when it was like, I would say a good 75% of the Kickstarter stuff that was up there was stuff that was so incredibly problematic and old and like just just people just like grabbing IPs and like, I created a game, use this IP. I'm like, nope. You did not. But again, <laughs> Kickstarter was so early and so young that people, I mean, why wouldn't you assume that like Joe down the block had the Marvel IP to create a chess set, right? Sure. Why not? Right. Cause it's a Kickstarter. Why it's on the internet. If it's on the internet, it's gotta be real and trustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking and take a look, Anthony, we're talking about that in 2014. So that's so, quite a while ago. So what we're saying is we were both ahead of our time. And, we, a little bit. Uh, moved a little moved bit. on yeah. before the things blew up that we were talking about. It's true. Like you said, solo games were not the biggest thing until you came along. And then now it's like every day. And everything on YouTube I see these days is either a preview video for a Kickstarter or some YouTube channel reviewing every Kickstarter game. And again... We didn't start these things. There were other people doing those things, and there'll be other people after us, and we're so grateful and glad just to be a steward as far as that's concerned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think at the time, and still to this day, we are number four on all of those things, Anthony. We are number four. On all of those things. Is is there room for four? We don't know yet. But we, we don't know We yet. are number four. And we, but we do welcome number five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and, and so on infinite numbers that have come after us anyways right (laughs) but honestly if you look back at all the podcasts that launched that were around when we started how many of them are still running 
and this this isn't like a brag or a humble brag or anything. This is just like my own processing of how long we've been doing this. It's like <laughs> a lot of people have stopped. So. Well, they had to worry about their mental health. Clearly, we we weren't doing that. That is true. <laughs> We're like, what's that? Oh, mental health? Yeah, we should. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. No, it was a great. It was a great journey and a great opportunity to get more outlets out there. Whether it was on Twitch, more YouTube stuff, more you know live feeds, more in person game events you know, the charity events, of course, and now the academic journal. So we're always looking to kind of innovate and bring new people to the table because I got to say, like, you got to, we all have the same thing, right? We have a collection of board games that we want to get to the table, and it never seems like there's enough people to get those games to the table. We are here to, to combat that. We're here to bring more people to the table so you never have a problem getting those great games to the table. So, Anthony, again, a a great 10 years. Congratulations, my friend. Could not have done it without you, of course, clearly, because you've done all the, especially all the heavy technical lifting. So, uh, you know, it's, and again, to all of our guest hosts throughout the years, thank you so much. And again, to all the listeners and supporters, it, it means the world to us. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And same to you, man. Like, this is obviously like, being able to like continue and do this and however many people have been on the podcast with us over the years have come, they've gone, but like the two of us forward March the whole time. Sure. And it, it's one of those things like you talk about mental health, right? Like, Oh, the people's better for the... this has been good for my mental health. Like it's, it's a thing that it's there every week. Get, of course. get on, talk to somebody like, especially as a parent, sometimes, especially with young children, sometimes you don't talk sure. to other human beings for days at a time. Of course. You talk to children and they don't really care about any of your problems or needs because they're children. Um, and you love them, but at the same time, it's draining. So getting on and being able to do this has always been really important for me. Absolutely. And again, all the feedback that we've gotten from everyone over the years has, been, has meant the world to, to me. And yeah. I know for you too as well. Sure. And it, it's been hard. I think that's the other side of it too. It's been hard. It's been a lot of episodes. It's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of money. Um, but it's been for it's been good work, and yeah. it's been and I think it's been for the greater good. I like to believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're emerging into a whole new space right now <laughs> that that I love. Like this is the space uh, that I would love to spend the rest of my career in, and so being able to do that with the podcast and with you and everybody else is is amazing. So I'm I'm really enjoying that. Excellent. Well, again, 10 years, we'll get to our feature review, which will be a look back at the last year. We'll talk about our favorite acquisition disorders, our favorite at the tables, and our favorite features. But before we get that, Anthony, some last minute house cleaning, I guess, or convention cleaning up, or a couple of people cleaning up on the convention, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, like, this isn't news to anybody. Um, if you've been following the convention, what happened after the convention, or or I guess before the convention in this case, mm -hmm. um, we had a couple thieves, a couple a couple thieves stole a bunch of magic cards. Uh, so the day before magicians, the... yeah, magicians. Well, they, they made it all disappear. <laughs> yeah, um, they're terrible magicians based on the the security footage. Uh, but a couple of individuals who are very very clearly captured on camera you can find the photos on on reddit twitter wherever um made off with three hundred thousand dollars worth of magic cards 
uh, from Pastime Games in Indiana. Just grabbed a pallet jack, loaded them up, and just walked on out. No masks, nothing. You can just see their no faces top. clearly. Yep. yep. Um, I've always said that Gen Con had like surprisingly little security. I'm like, there's a lot of people here and a lot of money's worth of stuff. And the security girl security guards are all in their eighties. Like just like what is this? Sure. So I'm not surprised something like this happened. It sucks. Um it's not a good thing, but I'm not surprised. I would imagine next year we'll see a lot more security as a result. Mm-hmm. The thing that I find most interesting here is that they have the police have identified two individuals as persons of interest. They have not been charged with crimes yet, so we can't say that they did this, but they're potentially related or they look like or whatever it is they've decided. These individuals designed a game or attached to a game on Board Game Geek called Castle Assault, which came out back in 2015. Uh, TJ Dunbar and Pearson Guillaume. We played that game at Gen Con in 2016. We reviewed that game on episode 95. <laughs> you can go back to episode 95 of the podcast if you like Splendor, try. Dot, dot, dot. Daniel was there with us. And we talked about Castle Assault and the play that we had at Gen Con. And then I took it home and did a deeper review and, and discuss it further. That doesn't mean anything necessarily. <laughs> I just had to say that out loud because I saw these names pop up and I'm like, TJ Dunbar, that seems really familiar. Castle Assault, that seems really, really familiar. Let me look it up on Board Game Geek. Like, yep, I had that. I took it home. They gave it to us as a review copy. I played that game. We talked about it. Uh, And and now these individuals potentially maybe are related to stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cards. And we'll be going to jail for a long time if they did, in fact, do that. incredible i mean it's a it's a it's a as we're walking out gen con and the story's popping up it's just it's surreal because again like you said it's because the the tabletop fans and attendees are such great people that this doesn't happen more yeah it's almost like like you said like it would be super easy and clear considering the number of people at the event and the chaos that tends to ensue that that place be wiped clean especially this year when Larkana was there. Like, if somebody wanted to do a heist, they could. Like, again, you know, you and I as as media have walked through places that we probably should not be walking through, unbeknownst to us. But, again, weird and wacky and, again, surprising somehow. So... Yeah, no, it's it's... The thing is, like, conventions like this, they're not really policed because that's... It would kill the vibe, right? If every every, yeah. every booth had like a security guard standing there glaring at everybody, that's no fun. Nope. Um, but it's we're all on the honor system together, right? And I'm sure. sure some people steal stuff. That's just part of any retail environment. You yeah. know, like you hear stories about people stealing cash boxes at Essen sometimes. I'm sure similar things happen at Gen Con. Um, like I I picked up a stuffed animal for my daughter at the uh, Everdell booth. And they're like, you got to walk all the way around the booth over here to the the cash register. And I did, obviously, and I paid for it because I have morals and ethics. But I was like, it would be very easy as I'm walking around to just continue walking in a different direction. And no one would know anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's all on the honor system. So when somebody does something like this, everybody looks at it and they're like, wait, what? Somebody did what now? And not just that, but they're in the industry, potentially, again, allegedly. We we don't know that these people did it. 
But if it is these individuals, they're in the industry. They've had a booth at this convention. And they're just, really? You're going to do that? That's really weird. Yeah. Well, 10 years means that we have an episode where we talk about their stuff and you can hear Anthony talk about it. We we do. We are apparently now the Simpsons. So if something happens in the board game hobby, we talked about it at some point. We talked about it. We covered it. We ran with it. We produced it. It happened. It's out there somewhere. Yep. As someone said, like, what are you guys about? I'm like, well, it's on the website, boardgameisanonymous.com, but also there's 10 years of episodes, so <laughs> I'm sure you could find it if you really want to find it. And yeah. literally, you can. Whoa. Okay. And again, uh, Gen Con, great time. Their numbers were about or over 70,000 unique attendees over the four days. Again, huge economic impact uh, for the city. Uh, Seventy-five million dollars, you know, for all the all the numbers of different hotels and restaurants and stores and things like that. Again, thank you all for having us there. Loved it. All the different food trucks out there as well. And I guess one of the updates that they've said is the question with these big conventions is they're so massive that they do have all, their own gravitational pull. And Gen Con has had an effect as a major business in that area to, I guess, push and pull certain things as far as, you know, wants and desires and political aspirations and shenanigans and things like this. And it was, and for a long time, again, when these conventions, you know, set up, they sign a contract with the city for X number of years, convention hall, things like that. So the question was, will Gen Con stay in Indianapolis? Well, turns out they extended their contract to 2030. So Gen Con will continue to be in Indiana, Indianapolis for the, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is, like, I love the convention. I think the space is good. And, it, you know, the thing I like about it the most, now that we've been, I've been six times, is that it's familiar. Right, which seems a little silly, but I know where I'm going. Like we got there, and I'm like, we're going here, we're going here. Here's where the sky bridge is. Like, it's been sure. four years since I was there, but I knew exactly where I needed to be and how to get there. Um, and in such a large space with so much going on, there's a lot to be said for that. This is the familiarity. I'm also on record as being like, it's not the greatest food city for us individual, like our dietary needs. It is, you know you have to fly there from pretty much anywhere, right? Unless you live in the Midwest. Um, there's certain elements to it that just make it really expensive because of it's in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. There are certainly other places I would be more upset about if it was there, but you know, it's familiar. I'm not, if, if they suddenly said it's going to be in Nevada, I'd be like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nothing against Nevada. I was like, I don't want to go all the way to Nevada. Um, so it familiarity, fine right i would love it if they moved to philly that's not gonna happen but you know yeah every convention again because of money right they try to find something that it's going to give them as many breaks as possible and be as cheap as possible and also have the infrastructure to support a convention of that size indy does they have the hotels they have the international airport again for people who live in that area it's fantastic for us, it's not bad. But again, these things could always be better because, again, there are many challenges 
as far as and if you've ever been to Indiana again a lot of people who've talked about wanting to go to Gen Con but they're they find very very difficult to either get a hotel um, the prices are for hotels are incredibly expensive the number of airports that actually service Indy is very small surprisingly and travel can be difficult because it's just there's like Indianapolis and then there's, you know, then there's very little on the outside of that major city area. So, yeah. yeah. And then again, there's also bad, there's also some very challenging, troubling policies of that state that are obviously concerning for so many reasons. So it was slightly surprising that they didn't go in a different direction, but also at the same time, the convention center is physically expanding. So might be a thing as well as far as convincing them to stay because Gen Con's growing. So they started out way back in the day with about 20,000 people. And now, now they're up over 70,000 and it felt larger than that. I think we talked about this last time because so many of the publishers did not expect that large number day one, they ran out of games. And by Sunday, there was very few and far between to find anything. In fact, there was over 570 publishers and vendors inside the hall. That's not including all the people outside and all the people in the hotels, because that's just, again, just huge, incredible, expansive, uh, fantastic. So, yeah, um, another banner year, and uh, the hobby continues to grow. Indeed. All right. Well, Anthony, I guess to wrap up the convention, all of our trials and tribulations over the last week have been a thing. Um, no more than for you, unfortunately, as we were leaving the airport. Yeah, airline lost my bag. So it's it's never happened to me before. Now it has. So was it two guys from Gen Con on a yeah on a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's some other <laughs> game like, we reviewed. That's right. They were like, "Hey, this game's got." I'm sorry, this bag has games in it. Let's 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 discreetly get it out of the airport. Yeah, I should tell them like. This is the least amount of games I've ever brought home from Gen Con. There's not that much in that bag. There's like three, and most of this stuff's for my kids. So, eh, can I have it back? There you go. Um, yeah, no, it just wasn't at baggage when I baggage claim when I got there. Someone else must have grabbed it. They left it wherever the heck they left it, and then the police found it. So it does exist. I'm going to get it this weekend. Uh, but if you're wondering why there's no reviews on this week's podcast, it's because the games I got are in my bag, which is still in Newark. So. At a police station. At a police station. <laughs> hopefully, it better be because I got to go up there tomorrow. So. Yeah. So challenges, challenges to say the least, people. But um, ten years, we've dealt with all of them. I think we've dealt with all. God willing, we've dealt with all. Of them. We we dealt with all of them. Yeah. I'm making it definitive. Did you hear my universe? We've dealt with all of them. Yeah. Don't That's it. Don't will any new challenges upon us, my friend. <laughs> it's done. No, no, no. This, no, this, this is. I'm, I'm, I'm working on on, on multiple levels here. Okay. We've dealt with all of them. We're all agreed, right? All done. Everyone, they're all done. <laughs> Ten years of them. We're done. We're done. We're out. We're good, right? We're good. We're good. We're good. Okay, we're good. See, I, I took care of it. Yep, done. Great. You got to put it out there, and it and it happens. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Don't listen to a future episode and come back to this. Okay, <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's done. Um, with that said, let's get finally get onto the feature, Anthony. Again. We've talked about this for 10 years. Let's talk about tabletop gaming, the hobby that we love, the friends that we've made at the table, but in particular, the last year. 
our top acquisition disorders, our top at the tables, and our top features that really just blew us away. Because again, since we've been doing this for 10 years, we try we try to have as much original features and content on the episodes as possible. We try not to repeat like, oh, every six months we talk about the favorite, the best deck building game. We, we really do not want to do that. We try, I pull every feature I can out of my hat and same for you, Anthony. So that being said, let's start with acquisition disorders. So Anthony, why don't you start us off? All righty. So um, as, as is tradition, I have selected two acquisition disorders from the last 52 episodes. There you go. Uh, that stood out to me for one reason or another. Like, obviously, anything we talk about is there for a reason. But these are the ones that, I, looking back over the year, I'm like, I remember that. We had a lot of conversations about that. That is interesting. Uh, so the first of these is Teotihuacan City of God Deluxe Master Set. Which, similar to the Castles of Burgundy Super Big Box, which I now have in my basement, um this was one that we talked about several times is like, should I back it? I don't know. I already have the game. Do I really want all this extra stuff? It's kind of expensive. It's a big box. Where am I going to put it? And then ultimately after talking about it on the podcast, like four different times, including in an acquisition disorder segment on episode 421. If you want to go back and listen to that, I did back it. I went ahead and I picked it up and I am I think happy with that decision. Pretty, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, um, it was one of those things. Like, I've kind of moved away from all ins on Kickstarter in general, and just backing a lot of stuff overall. Um, this one made it easy because the all in was like, you get a fifth player expansion and play mats. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want five players in Tatuakan. That'll make the game four hours long. So boo. And play mats end up on the floor behind my desk. I don't use them except for like the big games. If I play War of the Ring, I'll pull that one out. If I play Twilight Imperium, I'll pull that one out. Everything else, somewhere back there on the floor. Um, so it was easy. I'm just like, I want the big box. I want the fancy bits, and that's it. And I didn't spend a crazy amount of money. Um, and, you know, paying for a thing is whatever. But it was one of those moments of it's a big box of stuff for one of my all-time favorite games, a top 10 game for me. I love this game. I have almost everything for it. Do I want to pay for this? And that was a lot of conversation back and forth and a lot of discussion on the podcast about that, which I think is why it still stands out to me now as a conversation um, from, I guess, three, four months ago now. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be very nice. The quality of everything there looks fantastic. And it is still one of my favorite games. So similar with Castles of Burgundy, even though it's this giant box downstairs that I don't know what I'm going to do with. I'm happy to have it. Um, will I lug it anywhere? Probably not, but happy to have it. <laughs> the other one I wanted to talk about is from episode 388. So this is pretty much a full year ago at this point. Um, Keyforge wins of exchange. So this is the rebirth of Keyforge. And this jumps out to me for a couple of reasons. One is Keyforge died during COVID. Um, for several reasons. One is organized play died, obviously. Any organized play game died. But two is Fantasy Flight told us, I'm assuming this is true, that they, the algorithm broke, right? The game stopped working because the algorithm they were using to build the deck stopped working. There was something wrong with it. So they had to stop. 
refresh the whole thing and rebuild it. And then it just kind of disappeared for two years. Then Ghost Galaxy came along, uh, which was co-founded by Christian Peterson, who founded Fantasy Flight. And they picked up Keyforge. They rebuilt the algorithm. They ran this GameFound campaign. And they said, we can fix this. And we're going to make the new set that was promised by Fantasy Flight. And we're going to do open play. We're going to do all this stuff that was supposed to happen. And I gave them money in the hopes that that would happen. And then it actually happened, right? <laughs> I, I wasn't super confident they could pull it off because they did have to build a new algorithm. They had to build up new manufacturing capability. And then they had to launch a competitive card game with events and everything that goes with it. And it seems like they pulled that off, right? They were at Gen Con. They had a big events there in the stadium. They had a booth. I have my booster box um, of Winds of Exchange in the basement. Uh, I have all the extra bits and playmats and single player stuff that they sent. And I'm playing Keyforge again. I played in a tournament at Gen Con. I had a blast. So this was this was the one last year in the last year of the podcast where I'm like, I really want this to succeed. So I'm going to back it because mm -hmm. I want it to work. And yes. then it did. Right. And that's, that's honestly, that's what crowdfunding should be. I want this to work and this is the only way it's going to work. And therefore I'm all in and it, it worked out thankfully because it, I, I feel like it easily could have just, we could still not have any of this. They could have not delivered anything. It could be a mess. And there's been some issues with delivery and, some of the open play events have been a little wonky and some of the releases and there's controversy over some of the formats they're using, but I don't care. Keyforge exists. I get to play it. I love this game. So Keyforge wins of exchange. Nice. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's so satisfying when crowdfunding does what it was always meant to do. And it really, we want to be, we want to be, we are champions. We all are champions of games especially these independent designer games. So I I love to hear that more than anything. The City of Gods Deluxe Master Set was, again, one of those things that I tortured myself over for quite some time. And in, I guess, in a different time and place, it would be an instant back because I do love the game that much. But at the same time, for me, I felt like I played enough of the game that a deluxe set wasn't going to encouraged me to get the, the game out to the table even more it was just gonna be like okay cool it's it's better as you know in some cases but i played it right so i i kind of feel satisfied as far as that's concerned but yeah no i mean two great games so let me talk about my acquisition disorders here and the two ones that i want to jump back episode 383 horizons of spirit island this was a really surprising one Talking about 10 years ago, and you and I have sat through a lot of, I guess, retail presentations where publishers are telling the local friendly game stores, hey, we will have these games for your stores, and these stores, you know, these games will support your stores and so forth and so on. And we're, you know, we're solid, we are focused, we are there for you, only you, only you, only you, they can get the stuff from only you. Obviously, Kickstarter changed that dramatically, but also the big box stores, again, for a lot of wonderful games and a lot of wonderful publishers, were getting their games in the big box stores. So, again, there's a, there's, there's a whole conversation to be had about the goods and the ills of, of that, as far as that's concerned. But 
Spirit Island, one of my favorite games of all time. One year, it was my number one game of all time. If you have not played it, you should certainly play it. And <laughs> I, I don't even, like, again, it's just, I'm at a loss of words because the idea of Spirit Island, this game of, I don't know, just, like, complex, cooperative gameplay that is about settler destruction is so antithetical to everything that a big box game store is. It's just, it blows me away that they got Spirit Island in uh, again, a lighter version, more family friendly for uh, more or less gateway gamers. Although Spirit Island is a little next level. I was blown away by the idea and I was just like, really they're doing it and they've done it with other games but i think spirit island for me felt like something bigger and i have since purchased it it was and the the good or bad thing again about what a lot of these game stores is is that they do go on massive sales for their games and got obviously more additional content five additional spirits to play in the game and it's a little more downgraded obviously as far as the components are concerned so this is like a the opposite of the deluxe version. This is the deluxified, the de-deluxified version of board games where instead of having the plastic components, everything's cardboard shits again. So we're, we're back 10 years ago where this was the base level of, of gameplay was concerned before everything geared up to the nth degree. Great spirits, great game. Hopefully new people are getting to the table. So uh, yeah. That was my first blown away acquisition disorder. And then obviously I had to pick it up because again, acquisition disorder. Like you, Anthony, I also, my second one is, is also in line with crowdfunding, do a great thing. I was really interested in this small box, actually I should say small tin dungeon crawl game called Dark Tomb uh, by Andy Bergman. It was a little Kickstarter that I happened to stumble across and really enjoyed the fact that they were able to put all of these different cards slash tiles into this little tin with a d20 and these little cubes again to mark all of your characters and the characters themselves had special abilities and again it was a dungeon crawl in a little tin by a first-time designer and i i thought i think at the time it might have been 20 or so odd dollars it's it's worth backing some new designer out there. Backed it, got it. It's great, and again, it's fun. I love backing Kickstarters. I love backing crowdfunding sites. I love helping helping new designers and new publishers get their games out there. And it's this innovation in the industry that we're still seeing ten years later that just still excites me about everything that we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the big thing for me. It, it's it's hard to find a lot of the time, like. Kickstarter has yes. become a very cynical platform mm -hmm. where companies like Simon shadow drop games expecting to get a million dollars for them. And it's a disappointment <laughs> if they only get 500,000, like, eh, but every now and then something pops up where you're like, this would only exist in this particular instance, right? Yes. Like sure. Christian Peterson and ghost galaxy had money and funding, but they would not have launched that game if there wasn't interest. And if people weren't willing to pay in advance, and that's why it exists, you know? Yes. Small publishers, you know, like uh, for for the, the smaller game you're talking about, they wouldn't be able to even think about publishing a game 
you know, yes. unless they go through the rigor and gauntlet of finding a publisher. So it's cool that this is still possible. It's not very frequent, not the way it used to be, but sure. when we find them, we, we do like to highlight them. Yeah, and again, to again, uh, we like to think of it like we like to think of greater than games as a big company, but still small company getting their games to a big box store must have been like again, as far as the game board game publisher and designers are concerned, like a dream come true. Right. So and a radical different step. And we've seen a couple of games. We've seen, you know, Gloomhaven actually get out there and a couple of other games. But again, Spirit Island? Spirit Island. They did yep. it. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know I don't like I don't know how they must have pitched that to the big box stores and they bought into it anyway. But again, I am so incredibly thrilled because again, eventually we're gonna run across some people out there in the world who do not consider themselves like tabletop board game hobbyists, and they'll be like, Yeah, we do have uh, Horizons of Spirit Island. We have played that. I'm just like, and my mind's just gonna be blown. I'm like, normal people out there in the world play these games too? Like, uh, do I have stuff to show you? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, like you said, Dark Tomb, which I, I previewed as far as Acquisition Disorder on episode 392. Again, just like, this looks great. If they can do it, it'd be awesome. And I backed it, and it became awesome because I got it in my hands, and I played it. It's great, and it's awesome. So, again, great success stories in the tabletop industry. All right, Anthony, so let's actually talk about the games that did hit the table. And again, we did let people know they should buy these games. And obviously, they should have, right? Yeah, I would imagine all four of the games we're going to talk about were buys. Absolutely. So what do you have up for us first? All right. Uh, mine are... Honestly, if, you, if you've listened over the last year, you're like, I know what yours are. Um, <laughs> you should know what mine are. Uh, first up was War of the Ring, the card game. Episode yes. 407. This was our game of the year last year. Um, I, the second they... I don't know if they announced it or if it was just like people uncovered that it existed, but it was January 2022. We knew this was exist. This was coming, right? Um, last year was an anniversary year for War of the Ring. Something was going to come out. This was it. But there was no guarantee it was going to be good, right? It wasn't the original designers of the game. It was Ian Brody, who we've met and is amazing and did a mm -hmm. fantastic job in this game and really, really cares about the balance and quality of the game. But we didn't know that. It was something new and different, and it worked perfectly, right? This is a asymmetrical game with four players, each playing a different section of factions from the game, um, alternating between those four different factions and vying for control over different paths and battlegrounds. And it is just, it's epic, it's explosive, it's not, it's not like a quick light card game but it's also not the long grueling campaign of like a full war of the ring game which i still absolutely love but i can only get that to the table like once a year war of the ring the card game i've played now like 15 times since i got this so it's obviously much easier to get to the table you can have tournaments for this because it's not <laughs> six hours long it's like 90 nope. minutes um it already has one expansion out which is in my luggage somewhere in Newark and <laughs> another one coming in the fall in the spring next year with two new factions. It is just exactly what I would want from a card game version of war of the ring. It's not a perfect recreation of that system, but it is still a version of war of Lord of the Rings 
built out in a tabletop form that feels thematic and engaging and mechanically rich, combining all of those things together. Uh, it's just it's just everything I wanted and more. So this was probably my biggest acquisition disorder all of last year. And then when it hit in December and we finally played it, I was like, yep, this is game of the year for me. I love this. Mm. Um, so episode 407, if you want to hear my full just ranting review of how amazing this game is, um, it's there. <laughs> yeah, one of the things after 10 years of reviewing and playing board games, especially obviously because of the podcast, we were really, in a positive way, pushed to play as many new games as possible. And you get, you can get kind of bored on mm. the same things over and over again. And one of the one of the kind of game mechanics that I I still do not see very often, a couple more times now, more with some some expansions, you don't see the team mechanic as often. Right. Like I remember back in the day, again ten years back, playing Tishu at the table and just you know playing with a partner, and it, it's a different vibe. Like you do not want to let your partner down. Like right. It's one thing if you win or lose a game, like yeah, I lost a game, whatever. But like you let your partner down, and you're you're playing in concert with them. It's it's a different game, and there has not been, and there still isn't, a lot of you know two on two games as far as that's concerned. I think Concordia has their their own expansion, and there's one or two others, but this feels so much fun. And again, you get four different factions to play, so there's variety as far as the gameplay is concerned because each of the factions play slightly differently. And it's so much fun to play as a partner on that. I really, really enjoy that. And I, we played through the tournament, and my biggest problem with the tournament was the fact that we didn't get to play more. I know. Tournament. Yeah, yeah. And again, going way back, and it's I'm, I'm sure this is way back on an episode way early on. We talked about PAX East, the first one we went to. I love Small World. I've talked about Small World endlessly. I've championed it. I guarantee you more than anybody the podcaster out there. I got bored of that. Not even bored of the game. I got just tired. Or it's not the right word. I got tired of playing that game over and over again at the convention. Like, I didn't want to play anymore. This I did not. This I was like, I, I'm not happy. <laughs> I want to play more. <laughs> like, it was like, we won the last game. Like, great. What else? I want to play more. Like, no, it's over. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> Just gonna play more. We'll play more. We'll play more. We play more. We play more. Let's play more. Yeah, yeah. No, I was the same. Like it was. You know, we we were there for four or five hours. We played the game several times, but then obviously we didn't get to move on. So I was like, ah, we don't get to move on. And it's not the kind of game you could just take and be like, oh, we'll we'll go back and play it at the hotel because you need four people. (laughs) You need another team of two, and there was only three of us. That's right. um, And I. And I told the designer, which I've said in this podcast, I don't know if it's the same episode that you're remarking on. I said to him, I'm like, we talked about this in the podcast. I'm like, the audacity that you would bring this yeah. game into card format. And I'm like, as I'm telling him this, I'm like, dear God, why are you telling this to the designer? I know. <laughs> Very large man on top of everything else. And I'm just like, he's just got to know that the audacity of him to, to dare to do something like this with the the greatest board game of all time and to make it into a card game. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I thought I could just, you know, of course I could have just done a game. I could have just made it a thing and just like, you know, it's the card game. He's like, but then I thought I would make it a real game. I was like, Oh God, this guy is so cool. (laughs) It's like, he did a thing. Like he could have went the easy way out and made a bunch of money from Aries, but he's like, no, no, no. 
I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my elbows into this and just like crush it. And I was like, oh man, you're awesome. And it's just so so cool. Just so cool. Just, yeah. 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 One one of my favorite developer uh designer conversations we've had in a long time. <laughs> it's like, dude, the he's like, what? It was like the audacity, bro. <laughs> it was, it was audacity. Cool. Yes. Oh yeah. So War of the Ring. Uh just yeah. The card game. The card yeah. game. The card game, of course. Yes. Uh, game of the year last year. Possibly game of the year this year. I don't know. <gasps> keep playing it. Two Plot years twist. in a row. Yeah. Plot twist. <laughs> Will it unseat War of the Ring, the board game? You have to listen. Ooh. That's coming you, up. You never know. I don't 13? get to play that game very often. Uh-oh. How many uh-huh. years has War of the Ring been on number one? That long? Oh, every all year. The, all the all years. All of the years, yeah. <laughs> since, since we've been doing this. Yes. This could uh, be the year. It could be. That's a good question. I don't know. I have to think on that. Um, all right. So I, the other game I wanted to mention is not as long of a conversation uh, because it's relatively recent. Episode 424. I reviewed Dorf Romantic. Yes. So I reviewed this game, I think, like maybe a month before it was nominated for the Spiel des Jahr. Um yes. Maybe even just a couple weeks. It was in May. Right. And then we were talking about the nominations right around there so it was a game the reason i bought it the reason i picked it up was not any nominations not anything like that it was because i like the video game right um i have a lot of fun with it played on the steam deck all the time it's very light it's there's an endless mode and it's just like relaxing and i can play it while i'm watching baseball or something it's just chill super chill so i was like oh a board game version of that and it's cooperative and has legacy elements sounds fun so I picked it up and I was like, I love this game. And I couldn't even fully pinpoint why I loved it so much because it, was, it gave me the same vibe as like Cascadia, which won the Spiel des Jahres the year before. Of it's not doing anything new necessarily, but everything it's doing, it's doing really well. Right? It's tight, it's well designed, it's engaging, it's highly replayable because of the format of it. And the fact that it's cooperative makes it so so easy to get to the table with like children right especially kids my age or the age of my children so i i instantly love this game and then like a week later i felt super vindicated which is irrelevant like if you like something like it don't worry about what the awards committee say but then you know the spiel this year nominates it for (laughs) their award game of the year award and then it ultimately wins that and i'm like cool more people are going to play this game i love so that's two years in a row, and again, should not be needed to validate my own opinions, awards from other people, but I guess the Spiel des Jahres committee really likes these tile-laying type of games that I really like as well. <laughs> There's some overlap there. Maybe I should be on the committee. I don't know. I'm learning German, so I'll work on it. <laughs> Add that to your resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, See I like the same over. games as the Spiel des Jahres committee. <laughs> And also, under special skills, does speak German. Working on it. Working on it. Uh, as they would say, uh, um, conversational German. Or, yeah, more or less. Barely. <laughs> Barely. Well, he's working on it, kids. He's work. He'll get, he'll get back to you. For our, but our by German the time we go to Essen, I, my hope is to be able to ask where restaurants are and, and be able to navigate the hall. And I will be glad, because, yes, <laughs> otherwise we will not eat. Follow that guy who speaks a little German. Speaks a little German, gets his food. All right, so my two big acquisition disorders here 
are again for me games that were very surprising and in particular not radical but let's talk about the one that's probably obviously the, the least radical an ip game about star yes. wars yes, yes. <laughs> and it's a deck building game so like an, an ip game star wars it's a deck builder all right so like all right all right fine another one of these all right just drag it across the table and then let's move on turns out it's good <laughs> it's, it's actually really good and in fact, the biggest problem with deck builders nine times out of ten is the market is boring. And like you can't do anything with the market, or the market doesn't cycle, or it's a lot of the same things. The thing about Star Wars the Deck Builder, Star Realms, if you ever played Star Realms, somewhat similar here, with the exception of the market itself is playable as far as the game's concerned. So you're not just picking up a card from the market. But if the opponent's cards are in the market, you can battle slash destroy the cards or headhunt or whatever it might be. You can destroy the cards in the market for the other side to gain points and benefits and so, so on and so forth. So like the market becomes a playable area. And I have never seen that in tabletop gaming. Please don't at me. Maybe someone has done it somewhere. <laughs> but this was a really cool aspect of it. And then with, there's an, there's another rule, there's a special rule that you could add to the game which allows you to get rid of or deal with the neutral cards in the middle of the deck. So Doom Imperium, I love Doom Imperium. The market drives, drives me insane. I would yeah. love if Doom Imperium, again, because they're all different factions at play, you know, against each other, if you could take out, like, I don't know, you know, Betty Jesuit, who's, like, messing with you in the middle of the market, right? Like, so... The idea of like, hey, there's capital ships for your enemy that they could pick up and add to their deck the next round. But you right now, you know, you got Wedge in your hand. He's got the X-Wing. He's going to, you can play cards to take out the other opponent's cards before they get them. Brilliant idea. Brilliant game. Fun game. Enjoy it a lot. Relatively inexpensive, honestly, for the games, you know, especially these days. So Star Wars, the deck building game gets, you know, a buy for me. Uh, high recommendation as far as that's concerned. If you want to hear my full review, uh, that's on episode 423. In addition to that, I also reviewed uh, Rebuilding Seattle. Now, Anthony and I have talked about this a bunch because we actually got a chance, um, thanks to WizKids, to preview slash play a full game of this at PAX Unplugged. And as if you have not listened to the podcast before, and this is your first episode, welcome, okay? If you have listened, you know I'm not a fan of uh, polyominoes. <laughs> Just not a fan <laughs> for whatever reason. Again, listen to, you know, 400 plus episodes over 10 years and you'll figure that out. This game is fantastic. And it really is. And again, it's it's a city building game and for forever. And again, if you go back many, many episodes, Anthony and I have talked about and gushed about our love for suburbia like we love city building we love suburbia and this game gives us the opportunity to rebuild seattle and also to manage a lot of different aspects that you wouldn't think as far as a city building game it's not just about putting the tiles out there but it's managing all of the expectations of the citizens and also there's an asymmetrical element to your player power 
that's special to you. You get to enact certain laws and benefit. And then there's also this really cool element that's very much like almost like Race for the Galaxy. We've seen it in other places where I get a benefit, but you also get a, a lesser benefit. And I love that too because it really helps you control the timing of the game but also lets you interact with other players in a meaningful way. If I see Anthony's doing a certain thing, I might want to trigger that scoring card because if I don't and he builds up to a certain spot, it's really going to be ruined for me. So again, when you play Euro games, the one criticism we hear often, and rightfully so, is there's little if no player interaction. So beyond the market, we've got a market that's some player interaction. We have some individual player powers which i always love you get to build up a tableau build up your own particular city and you get to set the pace of the game and challenge other players as far as what triggers and what and when does it trigger so absolute buy for me as well yeah th this is one of those ones like I, before we opened the spreadsheet i was like oh rebuilding seattle i should put that in mind and you had already had put it on there i was like great <laughs> as long as one of us is talking about it this game is yeah. fantastic it's gonna be in the top five at the end of the year sure um like, my initial attraction to this game was just that it was in Seattle. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of games set in Seattle, uh, at where I'm from. And so I was like, oh, Seattle, great. And then we played it. I'm like, oh, it's actually really good, too. So that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, I love this game. It's, yeah, I, it's strong buy for me as well. Yeah, I also, because we play so many games out there in the industry, I oftentimes wait to purchase a game. I did not wait. I purchased this game online right away get a copy of it at the table it's a lot of fun and it plays a, a good number of players without having that kind of drag down time um the only downside is it really needed an insert and i don't know why they didn't do that yeah because it's polyominoes man like it's it's yeah it's a thing all right well anthony that leaves us up to our favorite features let us know what's your favorite features for the last year yeah so um first up is from episode 428 um, why doesn't this IP have a game yet? Uh, I had a lot of fun with this one, just preparing it. Uh, sometimes we do, you know, we come up with a topic and we go to prep it and it's kind of a, a bit of a drag. Wah, wah. Well, it, it's, and it might even turn into a great episode, but like digging up the resource, like doing the research, right? Sometimes the research is fun. Sometimes it's just like, I got to get this done because we got to fill this in. Um, this one was a lot of fun because I was trying to think of what are IPs that don't have games, IPs that I like. So I get to talk about an IP that I like. And then thinking of a game that could potentially fit that IP and then what I would do to change it. That was a really cool way to approach this. So in the end, I got to talk about Zelda, Tarantino movies, The Matrix, Seven Samurai, Ghibli films. Perfect. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, and so I, I do recommend going back to listen to that because we each had five just really interesting IPs that for whatever reason, because none of these are super niche, they were like big ones that just don't have a significant solid game attached to them yet. Mm -hmm. And some of them have like little tiny offshoot, whatever things that didn't do well, whatever. I don't want to hear about those. I want a legit game that matches what we were talking about. Um, it was a lot of fun going through those. Absolutely, the, yeah. I joined it as well. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the probably my favorite one from last year. The other one we did early in the year, um, and we actually recorded this 
from I believe from the Airbnb where we got together and we're playing some games is collecting and culling your games mm. um, episode 409 so it wasn't a top 10 it wasn't like <laughs> uh, a, a bracket or anything like that none of those big sprawling research ep- episodes it was one of those things where we we sat down and we talked like pretty in depth for like 30 40 minutes about the mindset that goes into collecting and the mindset that goes into culling and that alone was interesting like i had fun recording it but i didn't really think too much of it at the time but it has kept coming back so people have referenced it people have asked us questions about it we've done supplements to it on our patreon feed so there's a couple of collecting and culling episodes on patreon um I did a whole series of episodes on Patreon of all the stuff I've purchased on Kickstarter and how I've been culling and collecting and organizing those. Uh, so like this episode kind of helped build a framework for how we discuss collecting and the things that we're interested in on the hobby that are not playing games like collecting and painting and building a collection, what that looks like. And then how to, I don't want to say stay healthy with it, but just like how to recognize what is healthy for you as a gamer and attach that to your collecting, right? It was, it was good. And it's, it's come up a lot since then. Um, so it was one of those conversations I'm really glad we had, and it was a lot of fun to, to go through. So that's episode 409. If you want to go back and listen to that as well. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Very important, especially having been in the industry for as long as we have and our, the collections that we have, I think we have an interesting take on things to say the least. All right, for my feature review, I, that really kind of kicked things off for me, I guess. Let me start with the one that kicked it off for me. Uh, Best Board Game Companies on Kickstarter, episode 390. So having done Kicking the Habit way back when, and each and every week doing acquisition disorders that I would say more times than not have been about Kickstarter companies and games that are coming out there. The question I had gotten back then, even to this day, is like, is this company reputable enough that I should give them my money for one, two plus years, sometimes more, and just like hope that this thing comes out in the way in which they're presenting it, right? Is it true? Is it real? Are they responsible? Will I get this game? Will it be as good as they say? Will they deliver anything they promise? We went through all of the games that were on Kickstarter, as far as the successful successful campaigns, we kind of went through why they were big, did they deliver, what made those games great, and then based upon the games, then we came up with the the best the best companies, and I think we came up with a really a really great and surprising list. If you haven't listened to that episode, I think you're going to be surprised how the best games as far as expectations price and delivery make some of the best companies out there it's it's not as clear and simple as like they raised 20 million dollars like great but like did it deliver and did it really deliver when it got to the table so um that was a fun episode yeah i had i had a lot of fun with that one mostly because it was cool to go back and look at everything we've backed for each of these and be like oh yeah that is a good company or, <laughs> Oh no, no, that company stinks. <laughs> yes. Like, that was good. Yeah. So a, a lot of dynamics there, a lot of metrics there. So 
a lot of effort. And again, we explain each and every one and why those companies are top notch. So check out that episode at 390. And Anthony, uh, a long line what you said as far as the collecting and calling games, we did an episode 411. What is the value of a game? What is the formula? Again, episode 411. This mostly came out of me taking my doctoral course in statistics and just mm-hmm. being like, what formulas? Why? <laughs> yes, there's a chart. But like, again, you and I have a, a pretty big game collection. And but in the end, whether whether we choose to back a Kickstarter or not or purchase a game at full MSRP at a convention or so forth and so on, all the different decisions that we make. What makes a game valuable? Right? Why does this game have value? Is it because of its collectability of it? Is it because it hits the table? Is it because of its replayability? And again, a lot of those things like we do instinctively, but we don't think about where we come up with these calculations that help us make those decisions. And typically we're kind of faced with trying to remember or figure out again, right? We always come try like, all right, this game, like, yeah, I like should I buy it another deluxified version of a game I already own? Like by what metrics and measures do I decide that? And again, I think it's a good opportunity to reflect upon that so that we can make explicit what implicitly we're doing internally in order to like why we choose the games that we choose. And then obviously what is that particular formula? Cause I think there is a formula for that. And we go through that. Um, it's changed for me. I know. So I know for that, like, for example, replayability was the most important thing way back when. Not so much anymore. So, no. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think this is a really good question to ask. And it goes, like you said, it goes directly with the collecting and culling episode. Yes. Because I think a lot of us beat ourselves up about like, oh, I spent this much money on this thing. And, and maybe, I don't know if I'm going to play it enough time to justify what I paid. Sure. But what is the reason you purchased the thing? Is it because yes. you like the IP? Is it because you like the artwork and you want to put it on your wall? Is it because you're going to paint it? Is it because you want to like build it out? Is it because you think you'll play it with your family in six months at Christmas? Like, There's a lot of different reasons why we purchase things and we assign value to them. Mm-hmm. So actually thinking about what that means and how we assess value is such an important part of collecting. Uh, so yeah, this was a great like supplemental episode to the collecting and culling that kind of delved into a more specific thing and added, it made it more quantitative sure. in a qualitative way. And I think it's important to know, because like you said, that changes over time yep. and it helps assess what we should collect and what we should leave. And again, where we are in our life and what kind of games we get to the table. So, all right, well, everyone, there you go. 10 years of board gamers, anonymous 437 plus episodes plus the every night's game night table for one keeping the habit so many so many different things again our thanks our gratitude an honor to be here for with you each and every week anthony everybody out there all of our former guest hosts from time to time um an appreciation and a love for everyone out there and especially for all the fantastic games that we got to the table so until next time this is chris And this is Anthony, and we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye.